Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. This is Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC, featuring the best of the best from today's conversations, observations, and ruminations. Because great radio is still fresh the second time around. Wesson Walker back on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ is Ben Johnson, the Lions offensive coordinator, worth $15 million a year. Million. Text us on the Carolina Men's no, Phoenix Hex no. line, 704-570-9610. The only problem with you playing that soundbite is it sounds like Wes in real time. <laughs> I think most of the people that get the inside joke realize that that is coming from the overview, that is coming from upon us, from the heavens, that he is deciding to play that soundbite. But it's not Wes live. I don't know how you feel about this. Yes, you're 15, about to find out. I am. I am. 15 million. That's the report, right? So just to get people up to speed, on Thursday, a week ago, Justina Anderson of CBS Sports posted on second or third hand chatter regarding Johnson's anticipated salary expectations. This coming again from Mike Florio. Quote, I'm told personnel around the league are discussing their awareness that some owners have been told Lions OC Ben Johnson's asking price is at least or around $15 million per season for a head coach job. Jeff Risden of USA Today spotted what was a snarky response from Ben Johnson's agent, Richmond Flowers III. Oh, that sounds like royalty. Quote, <laughs> I'm told personnel around the league are discussing their awareness that there is no asking price or demand, and this tweet is 100% false and irresponsible reporting per source. So that's the sarcastic comment from Ben Johnson's agent disputing the report from Josina. Lastly, in this saga, Josina does say that she stands by her reporting. Which Standing makes sense. on business. Well, and it makes sense because Josina's saying she's hearing from owners. Yeah. It doesn't, she didn't say she necessarily heard it from Ben Johnson's agent. So it's not irresponsible reporting, but you can understand the agent trying to get out in front of this, whatever. All that to be said, if this is true, and I can believe it, Wes, because I don't, I shouldn't say I don't remember a coordinator being this hot and the last couple of years, like I'm sure we can find some examples. We've seen it. Mike McDaniel was a pretty celebrated guy when he was hired with Miami. But Ben Johnson, man, he is the guy I think most people would point to and say, that's my number one option. We flat out know it from David Tepper. It's probably his number one option last year. Now we have the Chargers that might be in the mix. We have a bunch of teams. Do you think Ben Johnson is worth $15 million a year? And how much of a problem would you have with David Tepper paying it? If he is indeed the number one target. Did he play it again? You got it for me? No, hell no. Yeah, let's get let's get to it. All right, so uh, I respect what he's doing in Detroit. No question about it. And I think that David Tepper has put himself in this position with the environment that he's created because I'm sure that Deuce Staley, I'm not even going to say allegedly, but I'm sure that Deuce Staley has probably let Ben Johnson know what the work environment is like in Carolina by now. I don't know what their relationship is like, but I would guess. I won't say uh, I feel strongly about it. I would guess they that he They have ties has. together, right? Yeah, makes I sense. would guess that he has. But when you look at the top 10 highest paid coaches in sports in this country, 
Belichick is one at 25. Peyton is two at 18 million. Popovich, 16. And then you get to the 15 mil range that they're talking about that is occupied in the NFL currently by Pete Carroll and Sean McVay, two coaches that currently have championships in their resume. And then there's Kyle Shanahan at number six. So, no, I, I think that is a very steep price for a guy that, yes, I like Detroit's offense. I think that they are uh, pretty potent, but they only average 27 and a half points a game. It's not like we're talking about the greatest show on turf. It's not like we're talking about this groundbreaking offense that he's put in. He's got two great backs. He grounds and pounds it. He plays the play-action game with Jared Goff and finds his receivers. And he's got some pretty good ones, but I don't feel like he's doing anything groundbreaking or anything that I just go, wow, this guy's ahead of his time. He looks like the next Bill Walsh. I'm not going to say that. But at the same time, if that's the price that the Panthers have to pay to get him, I feel like it's uh, partially because, like I said, of the environment that's been created here. Ben Johnson turned down the opportunity to come here because I think he could have gotten a job. I think there was a strong possibility he could have gotten a job last year. Uh, But he passed up the opportunity to pursue it. And so I think to pay a guy such a hefty salary that has proven nothing, and his offense is very good, but they're not lighting the world on fire, it's a risky proposition, but if the Panthers had to pay it to get the guy that they really want, if that's truly who they really want and feel strongly about, they can take them to the Lombardi. I mean, I wouldn't feel bad about it, but I don't think he deserves that caliber salary. I'm here to tell you, no one should care how much their head coach is making. No one should care mm. because it doesn't count against the salary cap. So now it's not like that is limiting you to pay other guys that could help your football team. David Tepper is the second wealthiest owner in the NFL. He's got a lot of money, and he showed you that when he was willing to spend all of this money on an all-star cast like he did this past season. Now, I can already see the text coming in. Yeah, he already did this, Walker. What makes you think it's going to work this time? How did it work out this last period? Well, Frank Reich, I would not call the hottest coaching candidate out there this offseason. Edgero Avero was, as far as a defensive mind, and I would say that worked out pretty well. He might leave for a head coaching job this next offseason. But David Tepper throwing money at these guys, it doesn't necessarily matter to me at all. Matt Rule got a lot of money. There was a market for him. Matt Rule called the Giants organization once he got the offer from David Tepper, tried to parlay that into an even bigger contract than what he already got, which was monstrous for a first-year guy coming into the NFL after college. Giants said, no, I'm good on that. That's too much. And then he decided to coach for Carolina. Ben Johnson, if this is true, which we don't know, but if this is true, then Ben Johnson is doing exactly what these other NFL players do. He's playing the market. But what say you to the message it sends the money that he's being paid? That That's my only thing. I, I get what you're saying about it's not affecting the roster like that, but the message that is sending paying a guy that kind of money that hasn't accomplished a whole heck of a lot. Well, that might be true, but it just means that you wanted this guy to be the head coach over some of the other teams, and you wanted him badly enough. You could mm-hmm. afford it, and you were willing to shell that out. Because what does it say about Matt Rule? Like that That's the example I go back to. No, it wasn't $15 million. He wasn't getting close to Greg Popovich. He got a lot. But he got a ton immediately. I don't know how much the players look at that and think, oh, man, I better respect him. He's making $15 million a year. You're going to respect him based off of how he's doing as a head coach in the locker room and out there on the field. And so I don't care. I really don't. You want to talk about Brian Burns' contract. We might debate that a little bit. That limits directly what you can do with other resources. So 
I'm here all day for trying to figure out what he should get paid. Ben Johnson paying 20 million. Like, I don't care. I, I don't know about what message it sends and how much it would affect the record. I don't, for me, pay him whatever you want. If that's your number one target and David Tepper has all this money and he's willing to spend it on the guy that he wants more so than anybody else, cool, pay him whatever you want to. Yeah, I mean, look, if, if money is, the, you know, I don't think if, if money's what's going to moat Ben Johnson to take the job, do you want that guy to be your head football coach? Just because Dave Tepper can pay you the most? Like, and I'll draw my parallel. My baseball team has the richest owner in baseball. Craig Council was the hottest baseball manager commodity this baseball season. He leaves Milwaukee for Chicago for five years, $40 million. $8 million a year. By far the highest paid manager in baseball since Joe Torre the Yankees when he won you know, four championships in five years. That pissed off the baseball world. Are you really want, are you, if you give Ben Johnson $15 million a year, a guy that's never coached a single game in the NFL, that's going to piss off a lot of teams and a lot of owners. But, who, why, but why do I care? You don't have the cachet. Like, dude, a Jerry Jones, a one of those owners, you could do that. Dave Tupper hasn't done enough in the NFL to go out here pissing everybody off. Why do I care about that? Well, because I mean, look, we, we know how much the, the NFL is a brotherhood. Like, and we know how much. But it, why do I? I'm. I don't care. Yeah, he's saying as the fans, though. Like, why? Why, why do I care if David Tepper is pissing off Jerry Jones? Who cares? Well, I mean, because it's going to. What are they going to? I don't. I don't care about David Tepper's relationship with these other owners. I really don't. So, so you, but you'd be, you'd be okay with giving Ben Johnson fifteen million dollars. Yes, I'd be just fine with it. And then, I, what, and, okay then with, and then what if Brian Burns leaves and Dave Tepper says, well, I'm paying my head coach $15 million. I couldn't afford him because they're in because that's going to happen. OK, well, it's in a different rule sets. If Ben Johnson's salary counted against the cap, then we have a very real discussion to be had. But it doesn't. It just doesn't matter. And Brian, Brian Burns, by the way, is asking for double what Ben Johnson would be getting. So Brian Burns is going to be fine. But these other guys, like if you wanted to bring up, I don't know, whoever, like I don't care what David Tepper's relationship is with the other owners. It does not affect what's going to happen out there on the football field. The best straw man argument you can come up with in that scenario is that it might affect their ability to do trades with one another. But I don't want David Tepper involved in trades. I want my GM to be involved in trades. Yeah, it would put him right at third in the NFL overall in salary time with Pete Carroll if he gets the 15 million number. Pay him if you want to get him. I don't even know if Ben Johnson's going to get $15 million. We don't know if this is even true, but the market dictates what he's going to get, just like it does when we talk about some of these players. Especially if he has multiple bidders. There's going to be multiple teams going after him. There's not another guy that I've heard celebrated as much as this guy being the number one target for all of these other teams. I'm not saying that there's not a coach that's going to come in and do a better job. There, there might be. Nobody knows. That's the beautiful part about all of this. But Ben Johnson is going to be the most pursued coach this entire offseason. You can bring in Jim Harbaugh. You can bring in Frank Smith from Miami, whoever you want to. But if it comes down to a bidding war, just like we see with players in free agency or whoever, then Carolina might have to pony up a little bit more. Same thing with the Chargers if they want them. Like the Spanos family doesn't really pay like that. This, this is the advantage with Tepper here. We're looking for somebody with David Tepper where, okay, how can that guy be a good owner? It's him not being cheap. Think about how many owners are criticized for not wanting to spend money and only caring about a profit. He clearly cares about a profit. I don't want to get it too twisted, but I like my owner spending a lot of money. Love it. Bring in Ben Johnson if he's the number one guy.
It doesn't count against the cap. I don't care what his relationship is with the other owners. I'm not even sure that it would piss off the other owners. I'm not even completely sure about that. Because if it gets up to $15 million, that means the other owners were in on this too. David Tepper giving him $15 million for, uh, compared to another team only giving him like ten. that means you could just negotiate it against yourself, and that doesn't make any sense. And we know that David Tepper is not necessarily going to do that as a smart businessman. So if it gets up to 15, that means other teams were willing to pay him 11, 12, 13, 14. And so at that point, what's the difference between a million or two million per season? Yeah, pay him the money if you want him. I yeah. just don't know. How many times do you see teams that buy players, buy coaches as a translate to success? Like, I, I saw it firsthand with my baseball team. I know it's a different sport. You had the highest payroll in baseball history, and you finished fourth in your division. So, like, how many in, in, in the... In the, the oh, I don't know if it... I don't know if it means success. I also don't think that that's an, an exact recipe to work against them. So, I mean, I'm just trying to, like, play... I'm trying to play devil's advocate here. Let's say you go out and you buy... You, 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 you bid for him. And then he's not the guy. Do you do you feel worse that you gave another losing head football coach $15 million? No, because you just move on just like you did with Matt Rule. We wanted to move on from him sooner. Carolina did it. And the only thing is if David Tepper doesn't care enough about his ego to where he's cool to move on from guys after giving him a big contract, let's go to Frank Reich. I know Frank Reich didn't get this monster contract, but David Tepper said, no, nah, this ain't good enough 11 games in. If he's willing to do that, it would be harder with Ben Johnson, no disputing that, but he'll just move on if it doesn't work out. Like, if you want Ben Johnson, if he's the best candidate, which I do think he is, by the way. Over Jim Harbaugh, a guy that's a proven winner in the NFL. But I don't think Harbaugh, I'm just not sure that he's going to be an NFL guy, but I get it to your argument. Like, I get Go it. Ahead, if you wanted Jim Harbaugh, that's fine. I think if I want my coach to have some staying power, then Ben Johnson might be the guy. And you could keep him here because as much as I would love to see the content with David Tepper and Jim Harbaugh, I, I think Ben Johnson is really impressive. I think Mike McDonald, the Ravens defensive coordinator, is another guy that that I think is right up there, too. I mean, people aren't people are talking about him, but not in the same vein. They are Ben Johnson, which we get it because it's yeah. offense over defense. But when you look at what he's been able to do, uh, you know, he came back to him after coming from Michigan. But in 2022, the Ravens had a top five defense in multiple categories and number three scoring defense. And this year, they're number one uh, in scoring defense again. And this is the guy I think would be a great candidate, especially if he has a great offensive philosophy and a guy that he has in mind that he wants to bring in to be his OC. Oh, no, I'm with you. Mike McDonald is the best defensive coordinator in football right now. I think that's correct. I don't know who would be better than him. I mean, he's up there. Yeah, I don't like after what he did to my team in that game setting, shutting down an offense that had been bludgeoning other teams. I mean, that that was impressive. The way that he disguises coverages week to week and almost sets up these offensive coordinators to think they're going to do one thing, but then do another. And he's got the pieces to do it. Baltimore has drafted and traded for excellent players on that side of the ball. And so Jimmy and Joe's league, it clearly is going to help the coordinators do what they're supposed to do. But Mike McDonald is doing a great job with fantastic players on that side of the ball as yeah. well. And so both sides deserve some respect. Last thing I wanted to hit on before we move on yeah, the defensive or offensive head coach decision. I, I that's been more interesting as I've looked at it. And so I'm interested to hear what you guys think about this because if you look at the most successful coaches within a last five-year sample, okay? Like, feel free to tell me if I'm missing anyone here. But I came up with a top four list that most people would agree on. Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, 
Andy Reid, John Harbaugh. I think in the last five years, those guys are in a different category. I think that's right. So then if we go to coaches, most fan bases would hate to see their team lose, excluding first-year guys like D'Amico Ryan's doing a great job, Steichen too. I'm not going to count them yet just because I want more games. But coaches, most fan bases would hate to see their team lose as a head coach. Same four, Shanahan, McVay, Reed, Harbaugh. I think Mike McDaniel's already up there. I think Dan Campbell is there. And maybe even specifically that fan base because they've gone through so much losing. Like that's a little bit different, but I think Campbell's up there. Nick Sirianni, here we are saying it's a little bit of a bad year for them and they still have double-digit wins before you have a couple more games to go. I think he's still up there. And so if you have coaches who seem to have staying power but aren't quite on that list yet, I go Kevin O'Connell, Zach Taylor, Kevin Stefanski. I I think this is the right category to break all this up in. All that to say, man, there's not many defensive coaches up there. Like Sean McDermott is the one that you could go to with a ton of wins the last five years, but we've even talked about him losing his job. It feels like the offensive-minded guys in recent history are the coaches with the staying power. And it doesn't mean that I would be opposed to hiring Averro as the head coach. It doesn't mean that I would be so opposed to hiring Mike McDonald as the head coach. And I, and I think Ty Bowles deserves his credit for what he's been able to do in Tampa this year. Yeah. He's a defensive guy. But also, it's the offense that's been playing so much better this yeah, year. Yeah, but his defense has, you know, he's a defensive head coach, though. For him to have the foresight to bring in the Baker Mayfield and the year that he's had and all of those types of things. Is that I think more Jason Light than Todd Bowles? I think it's the GM. I mean, a little bit. Ty Bowles. At the end of the day, the head coaches still have their win-loss record, and they get credit for what's being done. Everybody thought that they were done after Tom Brady left the building, and for them to be sitting there on the precipice of an NFC South championship, I, mean, I think we have to include him in that conversation well, as far as representing the defensive side. Yeah, they might miss the playoffs. But yeah, so you don't want to give them any credit, basically, is what you're telling me. Not in the same way that McDermott is getting it. <laughs> no, I, I think it's fine. I think he's a good defensive coordinator. I think when uh-huh. we talk about head coaches, McDermott uh-huh. is clearly in a class above Todd Bowles right now, I, especially with the defensive talent that they have with Tampa. Like, they got – anyways, what I'm saying is it feels like the guys with the staying power that are good coaches, mm-hmm. man, they tend to be offensive guys the last five years. Like, it doesn't mean that's the only way to do it. That's not what I'm saying. But if you wanted to play percentages, man, the offensive coaches are the ones that are out here staying a long time and having the most success. Yeah, and I, I'll give you that. But but also now we, we got to look at this thing from both sides because the 49ers, as good as Kyle Shanahan is, that defense has certainly been they've the been driving great. force for them to be as good as they've been. Baltimore, you look at them, kind of same deal. Even the Dolphins, the Dolphins offensively are fantastic, but their defense has really stepped it up as of late that's put them on that next level. I'm glad you brought that up, though, because we have defensive coordinators for each of those guys that Mm -hmm. haven't necessarily been great as head coaches. Vic Fangio got fired, and that's the defensive coordinator down in Miami. Yeah, we know defensive coordinator is his forte. That's what he does. But I was going to say, too, with the Eagles. Robert Sala, the same thing. Like, he's questioned now as a, you know. I was going to say with the Eagles, as good as they were last season, that defense, you know, 70 sacks last year during the regular season, like that defense was lights yeah. out too. So. And and Gannon, and to be fair, Gannon is a guy that I included with D'Amico. Just first-year coaches, who knows what the hell we're getting. But I yeah. think Gannon's done a great job with that team. Mm. You know, weird social media video, be damned. <laughs> John Gannon has done a good and job. Cleveland, certainly, their defense has been a driving force. They've been, they have been, but think – Think about Stefanski with four different QBs yeah. winning games out here with PJ. Yeah, That's an offensive guy. This is true, but when your defense is getting you the ball back a lot too, that, that'll help those quarterbacks oh, be able to transition. But this is 
All right, but I'm not saying no, that. No, he deserves full credit. I'm just saying that some of these guys, too, these offensive gurus, they're making smart have hires. had nasty defense. They're making yeah. smart hires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. Because great radio the second time around is always twice as nice. Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The replacements are here with you once again. Fitty, Flounder, Evan Smoke, Ludwig. Yeah, that's it. Yep. Oh, man. We're... And Shromp. Shromp. It's uh, it's about to get heated here in the Planet Kia Studios. It's probably a good thing that, that Colin Hoggart is off this week on vacation. If you follow him on Twitter, he had a really long discourse about... The Hall of Fame of finalists that were revealed last night. And Smoke, we saw Julius Peppers' name on the list. And, and and rightfully so. Julius Peppers is maybe maybe the best athlete to ever come out of this state with what he did as a football and a basketball player at Carolina. And that's saying something. You know, on two all-decade teams in the NFL. Um, I know Jordan's winning might, might trump that, but from an athlete standpoint, you know, Pep is... One of the you know the, the the freaks we've ever seen play the defensive end position, um, and, and so you know we we look at him, we see Julius Peppers, and we're we're excited, we're happy because it feels like he's going in first ballot. But you look down that list and you see a bunch of different names, and you 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 don't see Steve Smith's name on the list once again. And we know the stigma about NFL wide receivers having to wait to get into the Hall of Fame. So I'll ask you, as a guy that watched those two careers up close and in person, are you more happy that Julius Peppers is a finalist or more upset that Steve Smith was once again left off the ballot? So first off, I want to say it's not, the, you know, he's not in yet. We've got to clarify that because the finalists, there's 15 guys. Only five of these guys are going to get in on the modern era. And I also want to point out, too, Steve has been on the ballot. I think this is his third or fourth year. He's got 22 years to get in. So he's going to get in. I think we can all agree on that. Mm-hmm. But it's frustrating, and it's more frustrating that Steve is not in compared to Julius Peppers because we all know Pep is going to get in. And we got no problem. It's not like we're dismissing what Pep did, but for as tremendous and transcendent as Pep was here in Carolina – Steve, for a lot of people and for a lot of years, was the heart and soul of this franchise. For at least five years, at the very least five years, was the heart and soul of this organization, especially for this fan base. Whenever the fan base, you know, where times are tough, who did the fan base look to more than anyone in that locker room? It wasn't Julius Peppers. I mean, you know, Julius left because of the situation with Jerry, 
and just the fact that he wasn't wanting to pay anyone heading into a lockout, it was Steve Smith. Steve Smith was always that guy. Even though it, this was an offense that wasn't really predicated on the past, Steve Smith was the guy. When you talk to people nationally, if you go to Oklahoma and say, hey, can you name me one person on the Carolina Panthers? They might name Julius Peppers. I, they probably would. But who would come first? Steve Smith. Up until Cam Newton, when they, they basically is kind of a passing of the torch in terms of how the fan base viewed those two, Steve Smith was always the guy. And Steve Smith had some of the best playoff performances and some of the most clutch performances in NFL history for a wide receiver. I mean, it, and that's what the frustrating thing is. Because, look, unfortunately for Steve, and I think this is playing a large, more than anything, is playing a massive factor into why he's not in the Hall of Fame as of right now or is not a finalist yet again, is the fact that there's been a lot of wide receivers that have had to wait a little bit longer than Steve, and there's a big log jam. And it's probably going to continue a little bit. There's a little bit of a lull right now for the next two years until 2026. That's when Larry Fitzgerald's going to get in first battle, which I have no problem with. But, I mean, Reggie Wayne... Tory Holt, Andre Johnson uh, seemed to always get the uh, upper hand over Steve Smith. And unfortunately, I don't see a year where we're going to have two wide receivers get in within the next two years. So I'm starting to get a little worried that Steve is going to have to wait longer than he should. He feels like he could be this generation's uh, Tim Brown in, in terms of how long he has to wait. Yeah, I, I referenced Colin's Twitter discourse, and I'll read two of his tweets he sent out last night. Steve Smith has more playoff touchdowns than the three wide receiver finalists and has twice as many playoff TDs as Hull and Johnson combined. Mm. He also scored one touchdown per playoff game played. So, like, you know, and, and Colin put in there that playoffs aren't the end-all, be-all, but, you know, that is the biggest stage that you have in pro football. And he performed as well as any receiver that we that we see as a finalist for the Hall of Fame right now. He outperformed all of them. All while being, you know, yes, you had Moose and Muhammad, but in 2005, he was the guy. He was the dude. His playoff performance at Chicago when they when they upset the Bears in the divisional round is as good a wide receiver performance you've seen in playoff history. And I'm not just speaking on hyperbole because that's the local team here. Like he was that he was that good against a vaulted uh, Bears defense, a great secondary at the time. They could not guard him. And so I, I think there's reasons to be frustrated because this has been a guy that, yes, he had Musa Muhammad at times, but once he became a legit number one wide receiver, was that guy. And whenever his team needed him, this guy made play after play after play for good football teams and not so good football teams. And you got to wonder that some of the laws that they have, is that impacting his career or his chances to get into the Hall of Fame because they wasn't a consistent winner. You were a part of teams that, you know, would go two and 14 or, 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 you know, just not, not be competitive at all. And if so, that's not fair because he was still a great player on a bad football team. And here's the thing. Look, I, you mentioned his playoff game against the Chicago bears. One of the single greatest single performances in playoff history from a non quarterback. We have ever seen 12 catches, 218 receiving yards, two touchdowns that also doesn't account for the uh, 26 rushing yards he had in that game as well and, and i mean look at receivers that were i mean you always knew the ball was going to steve smith if it was a passing play because the other receivers in that game drew carter oh drew carter ricky prole and Kerry colbert as well as chris magna but he was a tight end so gee wonder who the ball is going to go to well the other thing that you have to factor in here is look at the quarterbacks that 
these other guys played with. I mean, look, Andre Johnson, yeah, you you might He's the lean, one guy, yeah. Yeah, you might lean with, with Jake over. I mean, the best guy he played with was Matt Schaub. Uh, Schaub, was, Schaub was up there. He was, he was pretty good. I think it's a conversation. The other two, there is absolutely no conversation. Torrey Holt played with Hall of Famer Kurt Warner, and Reggie Wayne played with, I mean, in some people's minds, maybe the most talented quarterback ever in Peyton Manning. And biggest forehead. So... I mean, it's to to me. I don't understand. And you look at where he stands. So if you're if you're a stat nerd, well then I still don't understand this argument. Smitty is ahead of each one of these guys in receiving yards. And keep in mind, I mean, he did it with the team that yeah, I mean they they did throw the ball to him a decent amount. They were run based teams. Over so fifty percent. Yeah. So I mean. I don't. I don't really understand it. I maybe may, that that's something I really didn't think of. Maybe they do look at the team success. Although if you're doing that, then why is Andre Johnson here? Where where is the the, the success for Andre Johnson and the Texans? That's a fair point. I also like, wonder. You know, and, and I don't want to speak out of place here. Did some of the off the field stuff, or this was a guy that would fight his own teammates? And look, we we know how these voters are. Like voters are going to find a reason to not vote people in. Like, could that be something that's playing into this as well, where maybe this was a guy that fought Ken Lucas? Um, you know, was was you know the Panthers virtually had to move on from him so that Cam Newton could grow into be the leader that the quarterback is supposed to be of the locker room. I don't know. But for whatever reason, this guy is this guy's being screwed because the production, the production is there. And you you played it enough in big games and produced enough in big games. For this guy to be a Hall of Famer. Uh, well, I wouldn't say the off-the-field incidents are really hurting him because there have been, I mean, look, Andre Johnson's on this list now. Uh, it was one incident with Andre Johnson, but we all have seen the, the video of Cortland Finnegan in that infamous moment. Also, it didn't really hurt Marvin Harrison and his uh, alleged accusations that happened. That's that's very true. And he was innocent. Uh, he's innocent just so he wouldn't whip my butt. Uh, but, you know, so he didn't have to wait that long. Cover your bases. Yeah, cover my bases, CYA. Uh, but, I mean, it's it's frustrating. I think it partially is because he's in Charlotte. If he was in New York, he wouldn't have this problem. Yeah. Uh, and, and part of the problem, too, and this is frustrating me to no end. And look, should he be in the Hall of Fame? Yes. But the fact that he's already been a finalist multiple times has made me furious. And that is Devin Hester. Devin Hester, was he an elite kickoff returner and punt returner? Absolutely. He changed the way you played the Chicago Bears. You would kick that ball out of bounds almost every single time it got to that point. That's why his numbers went down after his rookie year. Here's the problem, though. Steve Smith, in his own right, was a tremendous kickoff and punt returner as well. Yep. The only reason he could have put up the same exact numbers that Devin Hester did, but he didn't because guess what? He also was an elite wide receiver. Remember when he tried to make Devin Hester a wide receiver? What happened? Eh. Wasn't Not really that good. They tried to make him a, well, what was it? Originally corner, receiver, and running back. He did not affect the game in any of those three areas. He was just a special team. And the thing is, he would be the first guy in, and he wouldn't have to wait nearly as long as mm-hmm. some other guys. Like, the fact that Billy White Shoes Johnson's not in the Hall of Fame, but he, and Billy White Shoes Johnson's been retired for 40 years. The fact that Eric Metcalf, which, by the way, say what you will about Eric Metcalf, he may not have as good punt and kick return stats, but guess what? Eric Metcalf actually turned into a really damn good receiver in Atlanta in the mid-90s, seven years into his career. 
So it's like, okay, so why are you putting Devin Hester in above Steve Smith? When Steve Smith could easily put those same numbers in, and you would be completely ignoring it if he did that in Carolina like he did throughout his career. Well, the other thing, right, Smoke, is we're, we're not even that angry that he's not in yet. Because you mentioned it. There's a log jam at receiver. The fact that he is not even a finalist is what is really making us crazy here this it does not make any sense why you've it's now three straight years like okay misses a year one i don't know if you really maybe they are thinking the off the field stuff which by the way if you're thinking that well then uh, uh, here's the thing then uh, you need to go back through the rest of the hall of fames in every sport and take out the people that are horrible people you're talking about the athlete so you're telling me that Ty Cobb was a great human? He's one of the worst people that's ever existed on this earth. And we're not and saying Steve is in the Hall human. of Fame. Steve has no, done a tremendous he's job. He's just made a couple of mistakes, and those mistakes were long ago. Yes, and dude, it's it's on the field, man. Stuff like it's not completely forgivable. It's stuff, but it's it's stuff that happens in the heat of competition. And I mean the the thing with Cam. I mean, what what is? I mean, come on, like that's a, that that's literally just a disagreement, like. I don't really understand what would be there if they're looking at that. That's unbelievable. How is T.O. anywhere close to the Hall of Fame? Well, and I also will like, say this, too. Like, this could be a bigger problem in the future because if I'm a Panthers fan right now, if you're listening and you're a Carolina Panthers fan right now, you're looking at this Hall of Fame, yes, of course you want Julius Peppers to get in, and I don't think you'll have to worry. I think at least one of these wide receivers and Torrey Holt's going to get in because Torrey Holt's been having to wait the longest. And plus, we'd be happy because Torrey Holt's a North Carolina native. I know you guys aren't NC State fans, but he's an NC State legend. A lot of Wolfpack fans like him. And he's, you know, had a tremendous NFL career, and he should be in the Hall of Fame. All three of these wide receivers in their own right should be in the Hall of Fame. It's just we think Steve shouldn't have to wait as long as he should, has right now. The one guy you better want in the Hall of Fame, because this is probably going to be, we're, we're going to have more frustrations. You better hope Patrick Willis gets into the Hall of Fame this year. Yeah, because if not, we could be doing the same thing with Luke Keekley, where it's taking a guy that, and, and for me, was the second best linebacker I've ever seen play right behind Ray Lewis, and I saw the back end of Ray Lewis's career. This guy was as dominant uh, a middle linebacker I've ever seen. One of the all-pro every year of his career, um, pro bowler, you know, was you know the, the face of one of the best defenses um, in, in, in football during his time here. And you're right, Smoke. And how much would it kill Panther fans if you're sitting here every year, you're getting the, the finalist ballot, and you're having to wait for two of your all-time greats in Steve Smith and Luke Eakley to get enshrined in Canton where they, where they rightfully belong because they're two of the best to ever play at their respective position. And, and that's the frustrating thing. And what makes it frustrating with Patrick Willis is Patrick Willis and Luke Keekley, almost identical stats on terms of career length and everything. And he's still not gotten into the Hall of Fame. He's been having to wait for about four years now. By the way, He's played for one of the most prestigious organizations in the NFL, and he's having this problem. So what makes me think that Keekley's going to fare any better for the Carolina Panthers, still one of the newest franchises? Patrick Willis is a 49er, and for a lot of really good 49er teams, the only reason he probably, I, I mean, is in the bigger deals because he didn't win a Super Bowl. But he was in a Super Bowl. They were one of the most consistent defenses in the league at that time, and he was the face of that defense. So that's what makes me concerned. So I hope that Patrick Willis gets in because it will help Luke Keekley, even if Luke Keekley would have to wait a year more. The only good thing that we can really take away from what happened last night is it just basically shows that Peppers is likely going to get in first ballot. Which, I mean, well, which he, I will say this. You talk about the market size being a fact. If he doesn't get in first ballot, uh, then. 
Oh, then we, we then we are really having a conversation about havoc that. Will be, <laughs> havoc will be and chaos will happen. I mean, that would just be insanity. I'm sorry, Jason Taylor got in. No offense to Jason Taylor, but Julius Peppers is better than Jason Taylor, and Jason Taylor got in first ballot. Yeah. Well, that was... Well, all right. Um, well, you just heard Shroppy play a sound effect there. Shroppy, hit us with a shroppin' it like it's hot. It better not be hockey. You know it's hockey, Do it, Shroppy. You know right. it's hockey. That's Come right, on, baby. Man. I'm in charge of the mic. Get it in. I'm going to do it. Why did I say that? That sounded weird. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Get it out. So the Hurricanes got a dub last night against the Nashville Predators. A little get back because they beat us the last time we played them. They actually outshot us by 12, but we still got that dub. Uh, Piotr Kachekov playing pretty solid in net last night, and they're actually playing again tonight. They're playing at home against the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, Hurricanes are 9-3-3 at home, but the Canadiens are 8-4-3 away, so hopefully... Carolina can uh, string two together here after the break. Now, Shroff, how big was that win yesterday for the Canes? Because they also got off to a very hot start. They were up like two nothing within mm-hmm. like, the first twenty minutes. Yeah, it was it was a good. It, I would say it was a good team win, but also it was really nice to see the power play uh, be efficient. Uh, they had six power plays. They scored on three of them, Woo. and uh, the Predators. There you go. Predators had four power plays and only scored on one, so that uh, penalty kill is also looking as good as ever. Yeah, so. your special teams. I mean, that's that's where getting a guy like Andrei Sveshnikov back, and you saw him. He scores mm-hmm. last night. Sebastian Ajo, four <laughs> points in the game. I mean, that's huge, man. That's 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 the type of win that you need. Now, the thing is, is that look. We've seen them pick up big wins. Like, we thought the, the win over Vegas would be what would turn, potentially turn the season. Yeah. And then they come out and lose two straight. At some point, you have to start turning these into consecutive wins and building a win streak. Like right now, again, they're still fourth in that Metropolitan Division. But the thing is, is if you win a couple of games, you're firmly in second. Yep. So that that's that's kind of what they're looking at. I think they got a chance to do it. Montreal is not a great team. Um, I think that would be huge if you could start out after the Christmas break with two back-to-back wins like that, especially if the goaltending carries over and you have another yes. good night tonight. Yes. I think that could be something that they could build off of and – uh, we'll see. Hopefully, you know, they're at home. I think they could get it done. Yeah, I'll- hopefully they skate hard. They have a good morning skate. they got a good routine. And maybe they get, you know, three points or two, two points. I'm going to turn your mic off, dude. Um, you know, who knows? We come back here <laughs> on the replacements. The Hornets, they're back in action tonight. They're in L.A. taking on the Lakers. At 7-21, and 21, where do the Hornets go from here? We'll talk about that and a whole lot more. Right here on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. There's more of today's latest and greatest coming up next on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. 
In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Earlier this afternoon on the Kyle Bailey Show. Queen City, it's uh, damn good to be back. Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ, emanating live from the Planet Kia Studios, the best place on the planet to buy a car. Visit them at East Independence Boulevard or online at planetkianc.com. I said Merry Christmas to a lot of you last week, but if you weren't here, Merry Belated Christmas and an early Happy New Year to all of you. We are back today and tomorrow, and then we get a three-day weekend. This is the best time of year. Um, It's also a weird time of year. We're in that Christmas New Year's Vortex week where um, everybody's stuffed full of cheese. No one knows what time it is or who did the last load of laundry or if the car's got any gas or if the mortgage got paid. But rest assured, we'll come out of this fog here in a couple of days. But we stay in it for a couple of days now. And I guess in the interest or in the spirit of that fog, what what, what do you think happened in sports this week? Let's see if people's realities align. <laughs> 704-570-9610. Hit me up and let me know. I'll tell you what happened this week in sports that I was... A little bit uh, upset that I couldn't be on the air for come Monday. Bryce Young played his tail off. He played his tail off Sunday, Saturday, Sunday, Tennessee, on Christmas Eve in Uptown against the Packers. My man went over 300 yards, threw a couple of touchdowns, led another uh, fourth quarter comeback drive to tie the game at 30 all. Uh, Last week, of course, the week before that against the Falcons, it ended up being a game-winning drive, but you get the point. Two weeks in a row, but this week doing the more important thing, and that is stringing together mostly four quarters of football. Although I'm not going to lie, he started out so terribly that I immediately panicked and thought that Bryce was going to regress yet again. Uh, a couple of real, it almost was like he was too excited, too, too fired up, too sped up in the beginning, missed some easy throws, but man, then he settled in and made some big throws throughout the game. And there's a lot to say about the way he performed. We got to talk about the officiating in that game. I I know this has been hashed out. In fact, I've been off the last couple of days, but I'm doing some TV the last couple of nights. So I've had this conversation in in more soundbite form, less so on the uh, the radio here. But Carolina Sunday had a chance to win the game. I think they were in a way robbed of an opportunity to, to at least force overtime And I'm not even talking about the snap with less than a second to go, or I guess in this case, zero seconds to go. The Romeo Dobbs catch was not a catch. Um, There's a lot of things to say about that game, but let me welcome in Smoke Ludwig here on this Thursday afternoon. Haven't seen him in several days. Smoke, what did you think about Carolina and Green Bay on Sunday? What was the moral of the story for you? Bryce Young proved why he was the number one overall pick. Can you prove that in one game against a, a defense that has been that maligned? In some ways, yes, but in some ways, no. I also feel like that just kind of showed you that's what David Tepper, that's what Scott Fitter, that's what uh, Frank Reich at the time, that's what they all saw. That's what they traded up for. That right there. Yeah. And and that just shows you, like, it's there. It's not like it's completely, it's not there at all. It's there. It's just been, at certain points this year, dormant. Oh, okay. So here we go. We, We have a development on the text line, and I wondered about this, and it's why I wanted to be on the air Monday. I, I, I always want to be on the air after big events, big games, big moments, but um, Bebop from Rock Thrill, maybe the foremost Bryce Young hater on our text line, says it only took Bryce 15 weeks to melt my Grinch heart. That was from Bebop, Bebop down at Rock Thrill. How, how many Grinch hearts were melted? 
on Sunday. I know Complainer-in-Chief was like, you know what? Fine, you're right. It's all I ever wanted to see. That's all I ever wanted to see. And I get that. I, I'm not saying that that part was unreasonable that you wanted to see a big performance. I get it. I get it. Um, Mr. Sizes says Young gained confidence. He definitely did do that. Um, I felt, though, that while that confidence might have dropped a notch or two at some point throughout the difficult portion of the schedule, you know, over a couple of weeks, really starting with, I think, the Indianapolis game, um, and, you know, for about three weeks, at, two or three weeks after that, I think the confidence had dropped a little bit. But, yes, absolutely, he gained confidence. I, I thought he really started to gain the confidence or at least, you know, reestablished the confidence that he's pretty much always had in that game-winning drive against the Falcons. So the big question was, and, you know, Mac and I got up early on Christmas Eve on Sunday, and we were doing the pregame show from the doghouse, and we were wondering, like everybody else, A, what's the crowd going to look like, and B, is Bryce going to be able to build on what he just did against the Atlanta Falcons? And again, in the early going, my man was throwing some moon balls all over the field, right? I think he, I know he missed Adam Thielen on one. He missed Chark on one where he was pretty much wide open. And I'm thinking, oh, no, here we go. I think everybody was it's like, oh, no, here we go. But then he settled in and the, the completion started to, to add up and he, he strung a few together. He made a couple of big plays. And then the next thing you know, Chark's starting to heat up. The running game is working complementary with that. You know, Bryce is finding Tommy Tremble. Um, you know, I, I just thought Sunday, I understand, and I've seen a lot of the hate on, on Twitter and social media. Well, it was a Joe, ba- it was a Joe Barry Green Bay defense. Bryce, or sorry, Baker Mayfield carved him up last week. I take it with a grain of salt. No, not doing that. Not doing that. Uh, the Green Bay Packers are still a professional defense, even if at times it appears they are not one, right? And this is not a 2-12 and 12 2 and 13 team like the Carolina Panthers we're talking about with Green Bay. This is the same Green Bay team that did beat the the Rams earlier this year. They're in the playoff hunt. They beat the Lions, division champs. They beat the Chiefs. I know the Chiefs are struggling a bit right now, but they beat them. So, this is professional football. I, it doesn't matter who's Hell, remember several weeks ago, we went out there against and I say we, the conversation leading up to the game against Indianapolis and what, what were we saying? Oh, their pass defense is terrible. Indianapolis's defense is a sieve. This has to be the week where Bryce runs wild. And it was an awful game. Sure. It was at that point that I think the doubt, the criticism grew to its its crescendo after that game. Oh, you guys were saying all week that Indianapolis's defense, and he couldn't even blah, blah. Okay. So I, I don't care that Green Bay's defense is struggling. I, I know they're not great. I really don't. I don't care if they're not great. Jair Alexander was still out there. By the way, he got... Suspended because he just made himself a captain before the game in Bank of America Stadium. Hometown, baby. He was not a captain. He walked out with the captains, made the coin flip call, nearly screwed it up. And Matt LaFleur had no idea what was going on, but he also apparently had no idea that Jair Alexander's from Charlotte. So that was a whole ordeal. He was out there, though. I mean, Green Bay's pass rush, pretty good. So all I'm saying is, miss me with the, yeah, but it was Green Bay. Don't care. Not even a little bit. The rest of this season was always about Bryce Young going out there and putting his abilities on display, right? We wanted to see quarterback development. We wanted to see the young guy go out there and continue to compete, watch hopefully the game slow down for him. Other guys start to make plays. Hey, and by the way, credit Thomas Brown. Credit Thomas Brown. I don't think we've been particularly hard on Thomas Brown since Frank Reich was fired because I, don't th- I never thought that that was a it- – it's not an easy gig to take over in the interim. 
right? Somebody else has laid all the foundation, all the framework before the season. And when you fire a coach in season, you are just stuck with what they've built. And you're trying to make some, you know, some mods here and there, some modifications, doing your best. And I think Thomas Brown and Jim Caldwell, by the way, have done that. They're doing some more things that make sense for Bryce Young. They're putting him under center. We're seeing more play action. I'd like to see a few more boots myself. We're seeing more RPO stuff. So credit those guys for that. And it took a couple of games, but you saw the culmination, I think, of some of the changes they've been making behind the scenes Sunday against Green Bay. And it was great to see. You know, and I've got folks texting in saying, uh, hey, you know, we, we need to see a couple of more of these. I don't disagree with you. I really don't. That's why I'm very excited for Sunday's game against Jacksonville and, of course, the season finale against Tampa. These next two games, I think, could at least send the fan base off into the offseason in a pretty good mood. Yeah, the season sucked. There, There was an historical firing of the head coach. You don't often see what just happened here in the National Football League. We all know what the storylines have been, what's been said about ownership and you know what people think of this organization, the awful place they're in with no first-round draft pick and so on and so forth. But if the quarterback finishes the season looking like a player befitting of the number one overall pick, and not just the number one overall pick, but a player befitting of a trade that they pulled off with Chicago to go up and get the one pick and to take him with it, if he ends the season playing that way, I think everybody's going to be okay. We'll still be a bit frustrated by, hey, no first-round pick, that stinks. We'll have some conversations about, hey, do you trade a valuable piece, Brian Burns, to to possibly recoup that first-round pick? We'll have those conversations. Of course, I think there's more personnel, more front office change that we'll likely be discussing in the next couple of months. But for one day, well, as an extension of the week before, and really just the fourth quarter in that one, but for, for one Sunday... People got to see a guy that they were very excited to see all the way back in Spartanburg, South Carolina in training camp, and it just never came together that way until now. So it's a lost season. It's the sixth straight with no playoffs. That sucks. Nobody thinks that's good, uh, least of all anybody in this room. It's certainly not ownership and people down there. I know they want to win. They've gone about it all the wrong ways quite often. But if the quarterback plays well these next two games, I think it still represents a great deal of hope for the future. By the way, phone lines open, 704-570-9610. This is our Monday show, in effect. We, we didn't have a Panther Monday show. Monday was Christmas. So I'm opening the phone lines right now if you want to get in. I would love to know, and especially when we talk about something that is so important as the number one overall pick, playing well and looking like he possesses the talent and the ability and the potential still to fulfill the value that they saw in him. I think, again, you'll take that hope for Christmas. That's what he gave the city on Christmas Eve was hope, after all, that, hey, he can still be a great quarterback, potentially. And a lot of it had to do with what was going on before this. I mean, Smoke, I I, I see no reason to go throwing Frank Reich under the bus here. But I think with the benefit of hindsight now, a little bit of it anyway, it's starting to look like that was really just a terrible, terrible match between those two. Swing and a miss, as they say. Uh, It just... I, for Frank, I don't think he was in the right place. Looking back at hindsight, being a 2020 or as a certain quarterback here said 50-50, um, and it just never all the like all the lines just did not work whatsoever. Defensively, I think for the most part they worked, especially given the circumstances. But offensively, it's pretty clear to see that it just Frank Reich was not the man for this job. And I think we're starting to see some improvements now that we're what a month into Frank Reich being fired. Yeah, no doubt. 704-570-9610. A phone lines ring and you can hit us up. Texter hit me on the Carolina men's clinic text line though. And he says, the bad thing is Stroud looks like the first pick young has a long way to go. 
again, I, for me anyway, you feel how you want to. At this point, it doesn't matter to me how good C.J. Stroud is. I understand it's a conversation we're always going to have. Don't get me wrong. But what matters is that Bryce Young continues to play well and improves and plays more like what we saw on Sunday. If he does that, you really won't care about C.J. Stroud other than the occasional rivalry game, right? I think we should agree on that. And you're saying, well, Bryce has a long way to go. Does he, though? Because he just threw for over 300. I mean, back-to-back efficient games. Even though, you know, Atlanta ended 9-7, that was mostly about the conditions, right? Bryce it was actually his most efficient passing game in those horrible driving rain, monsoon-like conditions. Then he played that way against Green Bay. So I guess my question is when you say Bryce has a long way to go, does he? Or did we, as we just discussed, um, is there a lot that's wrong around him? And that when you see pieces get even moderately better, like to league average, right? Let's say the protection goes from really, really awful in the interior, just to league average. You saw what he can do. So I don't think that, you know, you, you can go saying he's got a long way to go. I just disagree with that. And by the way, 336 number says, uh, who won against C.J. Stroud? Bryce Young. Yeah, head-to-head, that, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Mr. Sarcastic says, Stroud can't even stay on the field. How is he better? Well, I'll be fair to C.J. Stroud. He's missed, what, two games now at this point? Yeah, he should be back this weekend. Uh, it's looking like, but then it's not official yet. And yeah, guys get hurt, man. Yeah. Guys get hurt. It happens. So for me, and I brought this up, and I had a back and forth with one of our listeners, a guy named Wesley Pipes last week. It's a memorable name. That's why I know that. Um you know, we were talking about this, and he was like, oh, you said that Stroud was out two games, and it's only one, and you got an anti-Stroud agenda. And I was like, no, the point was simply to highlight how the little bitty guy, Bryce Young, um, has largely stayed healthy. He's technically missed one game to injury against Seattle, and we have to say that, but I don't think most people thought that he was injured then. Not not too injured to play, let's say. Hurt, I believe that. It's the NFL. But it felt like very clearly that week they were trying to give him just a little bit of time to breathe. So, listen, guys get hurt. It happens. But Bryce takes a ton of punishment. And for those that still like to crack the jokes and, and chop a couple of inches off the guy, oh, he's 5'8", he's going to get killed. Oh, he's 5'9", he's going to get killed. Now he's 5'10 and a half. Let's at least give him what, what he's earned there, right? And he's continued to get up and keep pressing and fought through adversity. And he had his best game as a pro on Sunday. You tuned into Instant Replay when the audio was so good, it has to be heard again. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan.